Uh-oh, the injuries have started. We'll talk about that and more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 11th. It's show number eight of the 2016 fantasy baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday news and commentary show for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at Johnny Peralta's thumb injury, some bullpen and batting gambles, and more. And from the American League, it's Jock Thompson, looking at the battle for the Cleveland center field job, with Abraham Almonte on the PED list and Michael Brantley on the DL. Plus, we have a closer situation brewing in Seattle. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Arizona outfield prospect Socrates Brito. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at who might be behind closer Sean Tolleson in Texas and how Colorado's shortstop battle might shake out. In our frequent flyers comment, Alex Becky looks at Socrates Brito and New York Yankees right-handed starter Nathan Eovaldi in our preseason forecaster position profile segment, Greg Fishwick looks at starting pitchers. And in Master Notes, I'll be talking about it's time we adjusted roster slots in Roto Leagues. It's another Big Friday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The MASH units are already open for business in Arizona and Florida. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Friday edition, it's our League Watch News Reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League and leading off our National League Report, and it's our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thank you, Patrick. It's good to be here and getting getting exciting as we near the beginning of the season and head into folks' drafts. And unfortunately, we're also getting into the injuries already. Uh, it seems like every year we get more injuries, more frequent injuries. And uh, for anybody who drafted Johnny Peralta, which includes me in a league that I'm a partner with Todd Zola in, we drafted Johnny Peralta. And now he's out till June. He's got a torn ligament in his left thumb. We reported on this at BaseballHQ.com in the Playing Time Today column earlier this week. And they say the Playing Time winner could be ex-Padres, ex-prospect Jed Jorko. Yeah, that's certainly a uh, certainly a possibility. Probably the best uh, the best internal shot at this point would be uh, would be Jarko. And you know there are, there are uh, certainly we thought a couple of years ago when he first came up that there was uh, really something there. A highly touted prospect, a uh, as a rookie in 2013, a 261 XBA, a 138 PX, uh, but then struggled a bit in 2014, struggled a bit early in 2015, bounced back a bit after July 1st last year with 13 home runs and a 103 px so so uh, there's a certainly a possibility that that jerko could could do something but the question is is the defense good enough to play every day the cardinals i think are certainly exploring other options uh certainly someone like um uh like ruben tejada of the mets who doesn't really have a position or eric ibar of the braves who's going to get traded probably before the end of the year anyway off a non-contender the question is whether the braves would be willing to let go of him uh, very early in the season and just how expensive it would be for the Cardinals. So I'm sure they're exploring all of their options at this point, as well as uh, uh, watching Jerko to see how he does during spring training. St. Louis has a couple of other options. Current Cardinals, uh, Greg Garcia, a guy named Aledmus Diaz. Um, what do you think of these two guys? Do they stand any chance of picking up significant playing time? I don't think I, they would uh, pick up significant playing time. Uh, they're, um, uh, they, they simply don't have the major league experience at this point that St. Louis is going to want on a contending team out of the, uh, out of the shortstop position. So I really doubt that either one of them would land a, a huge chunk of playing time. Yeah, uh, having said that, I agree with you, but uh, I would keep an eye on this Diaz guy. He was signed out of Cuba. They released him and re-signed him, and I'm not sure whether that was just a bookkeeping type of thing, but he's back on their 40-man roster, and last year after he re-signed, he finished in, mostly in A, but with a 982 OPS and a 337 batting average, and I know it's double A and it's a big jump to the majors, but, you know, when you see a, a record like that, it certainly intrigues you a little bit. It does, it does indeed. I mean, you know, you see that uh, you see that kind of performance and think that there's something there. Uh, 89 at-bats in the majors and a, a 696 OPS, which is uh, it's, uh, probably okay. I, again, I see somebody to watch, I think, during spring training and see how this whole thing develops. 
Yeah, that's Garcia with the 696 OPS. I, I really see him on the outside looking in, frankly. Uh, there's going to be competition. Jorko, clearly the man in the front, and I think Diaz is the dark horse I would back. Uh, Nick, earlier this year and uh, all over the fantasy baseball landscape, people are talking about the Miami Marlins closer situation and the battle between A.J. Ramos and Carter Capps. Well, scratch that. It's another injury. In fact, Capps is going to have Tommy John surgery on his pitching elbow, and uh, that's going to knock him out, of course, for what is it usually a year, year and a half, depending on how well the recovery goes. Uh, appears to put A.J. Ramos in the driver's seat for the closer role and all the saves in Miami, or does it? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, uh, they're, um, uh, certainly certainly Ramos pitched well last year. The the only question, I think, coming into this spring training and uh, this season was, is Caps even actually better than Ramos? And certainly there were some indications that he might be. But uh, Ramos was fine last year, and I think that probably just eliminates the competition for um, uh, uh, for at least the start of the season in terms of those saves. Suppose that Ramos gets hurt. Is Who's next in line? Is there anybody that we could actually think of as kind of a, a guy you want to stash on reserve or something like that? I think we'd have to dig a bit to, to find that at this point. I'm not sure uh, how deep that bullpen goes, but uh, I don't see anyone that jumps out at me as saying, oh, here's a third possibility in that particular bullpen right now. Now, Ramos had a really good year last year, Nick. He had uh, 32 saves, a nice uh, ERA of 230, a, a whip right around one, and pitched pretty well. The skills seemed to back it up. He was striking out 11 per nine, and he had a 3.3 control ratio. That's walks per nine for a 3.3 command ratio, which is strikeouts to walks. These are all pretty good numbers, not top quality elite closer numbers. But if you look back a year, Nick, in 2014, A.J. Ramos, 6.0 walks per nine innings. Uh, that certainly should put a bit of a chill on A.J. Ramos as a target, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you certainly need to watch that. I mean, you know, certainly a guy can get better, and you hope that's what's happened in terms of Ramos. But with that with that kind of control history and his background, uh, you've got to watch it and hope that he doesn't go off the rails at some point, uh, even for a short time, because that could... Uh, that could begin to jeopardize his position as a closer. BaseballHQ.com gives Ramos a pretty uh, optimistic projection, giving him all 38 saves in the in the uh, Miami bullpen, as well as a 2.96 ERA, a little higher than last year, and a 1.14 WHIP, also a little higher, but certainly not going to kill you right around $20. So that's uh, that's not bad. Uh, Nick, Corey Seager is one of the hottest prospects in baseball. Last year, he had, what, just about 100 at-bats. He hit three thirty-seven, uh, smacked four homers, even stole two bases. As a result of that, a lot of people are very high on Corey Seager. He's going very high in drafts, second, third round. He's going in the mid to high $20 in auctions. Now, BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Pyron looked at Corey Seager in the Facts and Flukes column, and he asked, is Corey Seager worth that kind of price? Corey Seager certainly showed very well in his uh, in his 98 at-bats late last season. But you've got to remember, we're talking about a guy here who's 22 years old and who probably has not made it around the league completely once in terms of a pitcher seeing him. Uh, and we know that makes a difference. I mean, pitchers adjust, especially experienced major league pitchers, and then, then the batter has to adjust back. So... There's some there's some cautions I think with Corey Seager at this point uh, that 337 batting average but a 39% hit rate so certainly uh, there's a lot of luck involved in that and, and that's likely to come down uh, XBA was 307 uh, still not bad but not anywhere near the 337 that he posted a, a good uh, power index uh, and, and a good XPX to back it up 146 power index 140 XPX and some decent speed so. Uh, you know, there are lots of things to like about Corey Seager, but I think you've got to remember at this point, we're talking about a guy who's got 98 at-bats of major league experience. And um, in a in a, um, in a keeper league, a, a tremendous option, the guy you want in your roster. In a keeper league, I'd go all out for him. But in a redraft league, a one-year league, I don't know at this point. As he starts to get into a second or first or second or third round pick and uh, well over $20 in cost, I think I'd be cautious. In a keeper league, Nick, I th I think if I was going for a championship, this is the kind of bet I wouldn't be willing to make unless I thought by grabbing him or freezing him, as the case might be, I might have a really good, useful trade chip for as the uh, pennant race moves towards August. You know, you want to make one of those dump trades and maybe trade Corey Seager, still, especially if he's playing well, you might be able to pick up some pretty useful studs for that stretch run in a, in a championship-level season. But I don't know if, I, if, if trading is difficult in the league or not allowed, as it is in NFBC, not allowed. 
I don't know if I'd trust Corey Seager with a, with a potential pennant winner. No, I don't think I would either. I mean, certainly he's not the guy you want as your um, – you, you want to trust your entire shortstop position to him, I think, at this point. You might get lucky, but then, I mean, you, you, again, you might get very unlucky. The Baseball HQ projection for Corey Seager is relatively modest. A $20 season, we're looking at 17 homers, 72 RBIs, 77 runs scored. Only five bags, which is a bit disappointing given that he had two in such a short run last year. And a two eighty four batting average. Not bad, but certainly not second or third round, that's for sure. Uh, Stephen Nickran, one of our favorite columnists, has his uh, gambles column about hitters. Uh, Stephen now covers hitters and starting pitchers. And the gambles are players he thinks are overvalued or potentially overvalued based on the fact that they have terrible skills. One of the National League names on Stevens' list, Diamondbacks third base slash outfielder Yasmani Tomas. Yeah, Yasmani Tomas is one of those guys that came up with certainly with a huge amount of hype and then didn't quite deliver last year. And, of course, the question is, is, uh, is, is was all of that just a, uh, a matter of first-time major league experience and is he, is he going to deliver this year? Uh, I would be very scared of Yasmani Tomas at this point. Uh, we're looking at a guy that had a 36% hit rate last year and hit only 273, XBA of 250. Uh, that's certainly not the kind of thing you want to bank on in terms of batting average. Uh, power index, uh, nine home runs and 406 at-bats, so that power that we expected didn't show up. Uh, power index of 92 and an expected power index of only 78. The problem with Yasmani Tomasi is he beat the ball into the ground a huge amount last year. 55% ground ball rate, and unless you can get the ball in the air, it's not going to go out of the park. So, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a, I would not gamble on a great rebound or a, a great sophomore season from Yasmani Tomas. Uh, I think he's best to steer away from at this point. Yeah, especially if you're looking for some power from the corner infield, uh, corner outfield type spot that uh, Yasmani Tomas figures to play. And and the reason is exactly what you said. This ground ball rate is just way too high, over 50%. His fly ball rate is only 23%. Now, having said that, if you're trying to find somebody who might be a decent speculative bet for batting average, there are going to be a lot of people who see that 73% contact rate, that relatively low walk rate, but Baseball HQ research has showed that the walk rate doesn't really tie to batting average that tightly. And if you have a fellow who's hitting 22% line drives and 55% ground balls, you'd kind of expect his hit rate would be a little bit elevated. Maybe this 270 uh, batting average, 275-ish batting average could be for real. Well, maybe, although we're projecting 260 for this year, and part of the problem is there's not a whole lot of speed there. You've got a guy with below average speed, so being able to take advantage of that ground ball rate, uh, you need some wheels, and we're not sure Yasmani Tomas, I think, has those. No, he doesn't, but I, I think that the I've seen research that says just putting it on the ground increases your batting average because, you know, a, a medium hit grounder can find a hole. A medium hit fly ball is never going to find a hole, yeah. Well, that's true, yes, very definitely. Also looking at gambles, our Baseball HQ bullpens columnist, Doug Dennis, he does a great job, and one of the pens he scoped this week was in Milwaukee, and this is interesting, Nick. There's a three-way battle going there. You've got Will Smith, you've got Jeremy Jeffress, and you've got Corey Nabel. Uh, Smith is a left-hander, so that's kind of a strike against him. Jeffress was a fireballer, but he seems to be losing his smoke, and he's always struggled with control, so do you think this all makes Corey Nabel the leading choice for the gambling man? Well, you know, Corey Nabel at this point is, um, uh, in terms of, of ADP, is being drafted way down in the bottom. He's kind of a pickup ADP of 444, so kind of a guy that's being snuck in at the end of drafts. And maybe the people who are doing the sneaking uh, might just know what they're talking about. It was interesting that D- Doug, in his article, uh, said that there's a lot of fun with that group of, uh, of relievers at first pitch Chicago, but that there were um, there were six Brewer fans in the room. Five of them voted for Nabel, so... The folks from Milwaukee seem to know something, or at least they, they seem to want something in terms of who their closer is going to be. So uh, I think what I would do, I think you're right, Smith, because if he's a left-hander, may have a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, so between Jeffress and Nabel, I, I might uh, look at Nabel. You could get him on the cheap. A uh, 126 BPV projected uh, could really be very, very good and might uh, get a crack at some saves. In fact, it might even be a benefit to you if you're targeting Nabel, if Jeffress gets the job coming out of spring training because he's he's had 
difficulty, shall we say, at the major league level, especially with his control. And uh, it could be he blows a few saves and they start looking around, well, where's the next guy? And it uh, might be Corey Nable for a dollar or two in, as an endgame pick. Right now, BaseballHQ.com, we're hedging our bets. They're saying uh, 11 or 12 apiece for all three of these guys. And I think one other thing I'd like to draw attention to, Nable especially, in leagues that have a saves plus holds category, uh, Nable's going to get one or the other and plenty of them. That's true, very definitely. I, you know, the interesting thing to look at, too, is you look at these are all three guys, and I would recommend the folks go back at Doug's, at Doug's column and look at their three, their three lines sitting there together. Jeffers is the one with the lowest strike rate, strikeout rate. He's the one with the lowest command ratio, uh, all kinds of things that could get him in trouble. On the other hand, he has the best, uh, the best ground ball rate, so that's in his favor. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a balancing, a balancing act and, uh, especially in, in Milwaukee where you've got some possible home run problems in that ballpark, the ground ball rate could play very, very well. So uh, it's an interesting situation and one to keep an eye on, but Nabel might be a good guy to sneak on as, as a $1 filler at the end of your roster. Not going to kill you in the meantime, although his his peripherals and his numbers, his ERA and ratio, are not super outstanding in the way you'd like to have like a Darren O'Day type of guy who's ringing up a 0.9 whip. It's more like 115 or so, so not that huge of a help, but not killing you either. And Maybe if you catch lightning in a bottle, you get yourself some saves for a dollar. That's not too bad. Uh, Nick, thanks very much for helping us out this week, and uh, we'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a BaseballHQ.com analyst and our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, PD. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. We're doing pretty well. Uh, looking forward to uh, Tout Wars coming up uh, the weekend of the 18th, and it's going to be very exciting to be in New York and participating in that. As you know, I moved to the American League, so these American League Market Watch segments with you, Jock, are uh, very important to me at this time of the year. Uh, so one place I'd like to talk about is in Cleveland. Michael Brantley is going to be out at least for the first month, and I don't know if we've had any better information in the last little while than that. But they were kind of counting on Abraham Almonte to take his spot for that first month, but he got nailed with a PED suspension. So now what we have is a fairly watchable and interesting playing time battle in Cleveland for that center field job and the at-bats that go with it at least for the first uh, 30 or 35 days. Now, Mike Shears of BaseballHQ.com touched on the story because he covers the American League Central for playing time tomorrow. So what is he seeing with this Cleveland center field situation? And then what are your thoughts? Well, this is an interesting situation for a couple of reasons. First off, as most people know, this is one of the most subpar outfielders in all of baseball, which uh, puts playing time for the entire outfield up for grabs while Brantley is out. And and Brantley is an ideal defensively as a center fielder. Uh, as you noted, uh, Almonte was, was penciled in as a center fielder before his issues, and Brantley was in left. Although now it's possible when Brantley returns, he'll, he'll, he'll play center field. According to Mike, the, the two players competing for center field now are rookie Tyler Naquin and, and, and Robbie Grossman. Uh, I personally wouldn't be wasting my time on Grossman. Uh, I think he's pretty much proven at the MLB uh, level. He he doesn't make real good contact. He doesn't hit the ball with much authority. He's a he's a 240 career hitter in uh, in 666 major league at bats. He, uh, he only has 11 home runs and 15 steals. Um, I I would avoid I would avoid Grossman here. I would too, although I think he could probably deliver more stolen bases if he was uh, given more of a chance to run. I think he's got a little bit more quickness than that, but he just doesn't get on base nearly often enough. Uh, he walks a, a fair amount, as you said, but he just doesn't have the batting average, he, and he, he doesn't make anybody scared, so they can they can or position him defensively. He's an easy out, unfortunately. So that leaves uh, Tyler Naquin. You mentioned him. Any chance that he finds his way into some at-bats? Yeah, frankly, I, I think Naquin is at least a little interesting uh, to me. Uh, He's a guy, and maybe more than that, he's a guy who's uh, who's, who's always been a, a fairly highly touted prospect, not not elite by any means, um, bat to ball guy who can walk. He doesn't have a lot of power. Uh, injuries have, have retarded his growth uh, through uh, through the minors. He had a concussion. He had a broken hand. But this is a guy with um, decent contact. Um, um, like I said, good plate schools. Uh, skills knows how to steal a base. He he hasn't run that often, but his um, uh, um, stolen base percentage has been quite good recently. He plays very good defense, and I'm wondering if healthy, if uh, he might uh, he might just run with this job. Um, 
um, at least for a little while, even with his moderate ceiling. And if you think about it, uh, this is a guy who's hit 280 in the minors with all these injuries, and uh, batting average is in pretty short supply these days. So he'd be a flyer I'd be looking at, depending on what I needed on my roster. Right now, Tyler Naquin does not show up on the depth chart at BaseballHQ.com for the Cleveland Club. And interestingly, of all the outfielders they have, the top playing time guy is Will Venable. Yeah, no, you're right. Will Venable has been around for a while, obviously. Um, um, he's moved in and out of starting jobs and bench roles with mixed success. Uh, another guy whose contact rate puts a cap on his batting average. He's a career 251 hitter. He doesn't have much power anymore, but he can walk and steal a base. Um, I'll tell you what's interesting to me, longer term anyway, is to see how quickly Cleveland might promote a guy like Bradley Zimmer, who's obviously their, their top outfield product and, and uh, probably their best their their best uh, prospect. Uh, he's their center field of the future. He has yet to see his first double-A at bat, so obviously he's not going to be on the opening day roster. But he's the guy who has the kind of all-around skill base, uh, power, speed, decent batting average, that can come fast. And if Cleveland is uh, is in the hunt and really needs some help uh, come, say, June or July, it wouldn't surprise me to see them push him up a little. Of course, a fair number of fantasy owners are going to be curious about Rajai Davis, who's in that Cleveland outfield, but looked like kind of the odd man out because of all the other players who are frankly better than he is, and now they're disappearing one by one, and all of a sudden Rajay Davis looks like he's going to get at least half the at-bats in, the, in one of the outfield spots this year, according to our depth chart. And uh, does that make Rajay Davis a guy to target at a draft, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think the team he's on just um, really speaks well for his uh, his prospects looking out. He's going to get a lot of the at-bats in left field, uh, and who knows what's going to happen in the first month or when Brantley might uh, might come back. If Brantley does move to center, if center field is, is still struggling by the time Brantley comes back, Rajay Davis is going to get a lot of playing time, and we all know he can run. He can. Uh, from 2014, looking back, he had... Uh, a bunch of seasons in the 30, 40, 50 range for stolen bases, a lot of those in seasons where he wasn't playing full-time. He was just getting some uh, defensive reps and pinch running reps, and he was picking up 35, 45, 46, 50 stolen bases. Last year, he dropped all the way back down to 18, though, and Jock, I think he's well into his mid-30s at this point, and uh, if I remember my own mid-30s, I wasn't quite as spry as I was when I was, say, 25. No, that's a good point, and again, we're not talking about somebody we should we should bump up to the top of your draft, but if you're looking for stolen bases, and, and stolen bases are in short supply, there are worse guys to take a flyer on right now than Rajay Davis. Of the bunch, I think I like your recommendation of Bradley Zimmer the most, especially in a keeper league, of course, but even in a even in a single-year league, boy, oh boy, Bradley Zimmer's got a lot of tools, and, and I really do like what he brings to the table Potential-wise, of course, it's one of those things that you try to get into and you hope like heck that uh, you made a right a right choice. Now, there's some other guys in camp. We mentioned Will Venable. What about Shane Robinson, James Ramsey, guys like that? Yeah, you know, Shane Robinson is a uh, is a is uh, pretty much a journeyman. He's 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 played with St. Louis and he's actually he's had extended time for for months um, uh, or you know weeks and months at a time. He really has never produced that much. Um, he could possibly be the guy for about five weeks until Brantley comes back. I wouldn't put a lot of stock in his ongoing playing time for the entire year. James Brad Ramsey is having a, a very good spring to date. Uh, he's hit a couple of homers. He's stolen a base. But he's had an unimpressive minor league career. He's, he's hit, I think, 260 career-wise. Uh, he's kind of underperformed. He was in the St. Louis system. I wouldn't put too much stock in him. Uh, I, I agree with you. I like uh, over the long haul Zimmer. But uh, I'll tell you what, Tyler Naquin, 8 for 18 for his first 18 at-bats. Bat-to-ball guy, if the hits are dropping, he's a guy who might be able to help somebody. And, of course, all of this discussion makes it sound like Mike Brantley has, uh, you know, quit baseball or died or something. In fact, he's only out for a month. He'll come back. And he was given a facts and flukes uh, coverage by Dave Adler this past week. And Dave, who's a really fine analyst in his own right, seems to be pretty confident that uh, Michael Brantley's playing time looks rock solid and may be going to be a pretty useful uh, chip for some good uh, fantasy team. Yeah, I, I mean, it, yeah, and it really depends on um, where you set your uh, your expectations. I mean, Brantley is obviously a pretty good hitter. Um, the question is, is when does he come back? How does the injury affect him? And again, expectations. Uh, this was a guy who, who, who joined the 2020 club back in 2014. He had 20 homers, uh, he stole 23 bases uh, last year, a little less than that, 15 stolen bases, uh, 15 homers. Um, obviously, with a month into the season, if that's what he misses, he's, he's going to be more along those lines. 
um, and even in a full season, um, I, I don't think Dave sees uh, sees Brantley doing 2020 again. His power metrics aren't uh, aren't that good, um, um, and he doesn't run that much. Uh, uh, even though his uh, his stolen base percentage has been outstanding the last couple of years, they're not giving him much of a chance to run. Where Bradley really excels is in the batting average uh, category. Uh, he makes elite contact, great line drive rate. It's been 20% or better the last five years. Um, he, he has very good plate discipline and pitch selection. It's a guy who looks like a 300 hitter uh, pretty much uh, all the way down the line. So, yeah, Brantley's pretty rock solid in Cleveland as long as he can come back healthy. Except for the injury situation, of course, you mentioned that. We only have him projected for 370-some at-bats. Uh, so 12 and 12 for homers and stolen bases, but around a $20 5x5 player, which isn't bad if you can get it for 15 or 14 or whatever. But uh, how concerned would you be about injuries? He has the reputation, but for the last five years, he's been well over 500 at-bats and in 2014 over 600. Is this injury risk situation a little overblown for Michael Brantley? Well, yeah, I mean, only in only from the standpoint if you're playing in a in a start over league in 2016. I mean, uh, it's it's obviously a factor there just because he is going to miss a month and you have to devalue him a little bit. But uh, overall, I mean, there's uh, like you've said over the past few years. I'm looking at uh, over the past four years, 500 plus at bats uh, each year. So. Uh, yeah, if you're playing in a keeper league, if you can talk up his injury risk and, and get him, uh, absolutely, because this doesn't look like a chronic thing. A little earlier in the National League Market Watch, Jock, uh, Nick and I talked about the bullpen situation brewing, you should forgive the term, in Milwaukee, which was reported on by bullpen's columnist Doug Dennis in his Gambles column. He also covered a similar sort of unsettled closer situation up there in Seattle, featuring Steve Sishak, you got Joaquin Benoit, possibly some others. What is Doug seeing in Seattle? Well, Seattle traded their end of 2015 closer, Tom Wilhelmson, to Texas in the offseason. And then they dealt the guy who a lot of us thought had the best outlook as the long-term closer in Carson Smith. They traded him to Boston. They brought in both Steve Sishek, who's been tabbed by Seattle as their opening day closer, and Joaquin Benoit from, from San Diego, who also has closer experience. The problem is, or the opportunity, depending on how you want to look at this, is that neither were particularly lights out in 2015. We all know Sishik lost his, his control and his closer role in Miami uh, early in uh, the season. While Benoit is now 28, and he's seen some real fraying of his talents as well. Um, um, I think what Doug is pointing to, and I, and I think he's spot on on this, is that neither is a good bet to uh, hold down this job um, um, all year in Seattle. And I, I think we're going to see some juggling of that closer role there. I think you said uh, Joaquin Benoit is 38, 28. He's actually 38, which is even worse. So who, who do you like amongst the others, shall we say, if you're playing the field? Well, there's a dark horse there. Tony Zitch, uh, and, and people got to be aware, he, he did pretty much nothing with his minor league career prior to 2015. But something clicked. He made some sort of adjustment because he was lights out at, uh, at AA and AAA. And then again in Seattle, he posted very, very closer-worthy numbers. And also remember that Seattle has some starting pitcher access, so something could happen there. We all know that uh, a lot of times closers come from starting pitchers that for some reason don't make the rotation or maybe don't have the repertoire to keep themselves in the rotation. Um, I don't know who that might be right now. I don't have any clue. I, I know right now fighting for the final spot in Seattle, it looks like uh, Carnes and, uh, and James Paxton. I think the bottom line here again is that the Seattle closer job looks ripe for some changes and opportunities this season. Stephen Nickrand, uh, for a long time, has written about starting pitchers at BaseballHQ.com. A year or two ago, he also started doing the Batter's Buyer's Guide column. And, uh, of course, he, the 2016 Gambles theme is running across all three of those skills columns. Uh, Stephen wrote something uh, I found pretty interesting about Jacoby Ellsbury and his risk. What did Stephen point out about the risk that associated with Jacoby Ellsbury of the Yanks? Well, for a long time now, we've we've expected Jacoby Ellsbury to steal, you know, 30, 40 bases. Uh, he uh, he's even had a few years where he's uh, hit a lot of home runs. He had 32 uh, back in 2011, uh, and even in, as late as 2014, he hit 16 home runs while stealing 39 bases. But these were years in which he had over well over 500 at bats. Last year he had knee injuries, uh, and and uh, he he was down to 452 at bats. He only hit seven homers. He only stole 21 stolen bases, 
And like Stephen notes, uh, he's 32 years old. He's not getting any younger. Um, and his plate skills have begun to deteriorate. Actually, they've been deteriorating for a long time. His contact rate isn't nearly what it was when he broke into the majors. It's gone from 88% down to 81%. Um, he is not, uh, he's not hitting the ball, or last year he didn't hit the ball with as much authority as he did. This is an age and injury risk uh, situation, particularly with a guy who, who steals a lot of bases. Uh, he's not going to be able to steal if he's not in the lineup. We still have him projected, I think, at uh, over 20 stolen bases this year with about 470 at-bats. But Stevens hedging his bets, and uh, I, I think it's a smart call. Uh, I would be hedging my bets, and I think the Yankees are right now as well. Yeah, I especially think that the days of speed and power are long gone. I think the speed declines with age, as we all know. I don't. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he puts in twenty or twenty-five stolen bases. But anybody who's looking for fifty or even forty, I think, is whistling in the wind. And then the power on uh, uh, as well. He had that thirty-two homer season, two thousand eleven. You mentioned quack. <laughs> That's all I'll say about that. And uh, ever since then, it's been, he had a 16 a couple of years ago, but single digits other than that. I think whatever was going on to allow Jacoby Ellsbury to whack 32 home runs six years ago, boy, if you're betting on that, you're really optimistic. Yeah, I would agree. And and the only caveat I would, I would give is he's in a good uh, park for uh, for left-handed hitters, obviously, in Yankee Stadium. And I would bet that the um, that the knee issues that he had contributed to the seven home runs he hit uh, he hit last year. We're projecting him for only nine this year, which I, I think is a little bit of a hedge on our part. It wouldn't be surprised if he was healthy for me if he hit 11, 12 homers, because that's, you know, that, that's where I would put him if he's hitting 10 home runs in, in other venues. You know, maybe he's going to hit a couple of more in Yankee Stadium. But again, I think the age and the injury uh, bothers me as much, as much as it bothers Steven. Now, of course, in the offseason, the Yankees made what looked like a very one-sided trade in favor of them, sending uh, J.R. Murphy, a backup catcher, to Minnesota and getting back Aaron Hicks, who was at one time a top prospect, and he kind of lost his luster. Then he started playing well again, and Minnesota trades him. It's a very odd decision by them, although they needed to make room for Byron Buxton, I guess, but uh, seems like they could have chosen some other way of going about it. Do you think that the Yankees wanted Aaron Hicks because they have concerns about Jacoby Ellsbury's durability? Yeah, I think so. I think the Yankees would love to trade Ellsbury if they could, but uh, I think his salary and, and and the things that we were just talking about are, are kind of prohibitive in that regard. And it's not just Ellsbury. It's uh, it's Carlos Beltran. Obviously, he's a little fragile. Um, obviously, Alex Rodriguez is no spring chicken at DH. Yankees got an old team, and uh, and uh, obviously, I, I, I think one of the reasons they brought in Hicks is they're looking at him at getting significant playing time one way or another, even though he doesn't have a regular job right now. A guy we saw last fall in the Arizona Fall League, Aaron Judge, a big, uh, very tall, rangy power hitter. Any chance he gets a, a look-see with all of these potential injuries? You mentioned Ellsbury, Beltran. Uh, Brett Gardner has been on the trade block apparently for a while. Uh, any any chance we see Aaron Judge, and should somebody be looking at maybe putting him on reserve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Judge could be up by midseason. Um, he struggled when he got to AAA last year. Uh, apparently he had trouble uh, with pitch selection. Um, pitchers were getting him to chase low and outside breaking stuff um judge uh, still has some contact issues he's not going to ever hit for really great batting average in uh, in the majors but he has terrific power and apparently he's showing it off this spring again if uh, if he can resolve some of his pitch selection and uh, and and be just a little more patience and uh, the yankees come down with some of the injuries that we almost expect him to come down he's definitely a candidate for for some sort of a midseason call up and finally, Jock, staying with the Yankees, Chris Olson in playing time tomorrow. He covers the American League East there. He offered an update on Masahiro Tanaka's outlook. Uh, of course, that's a very big piece of the puzzle for the Yankees and for fantasy players. What's going to be the outlook for Masahiro Tanaka this season? Well, I think if you remember the beginning of last year, everyone was kind of holding their breath and, and picking the date on when uh, Tanaka's elbow would snap, and that didn't happen. And he had a pretty good year last year. He, he threw 154 innings. He had a couple of stints on the DL, but it, it wasn't uh, due to the elbow. Um, and uh, he, he put up a 3.51 ERA, 3.34 expected ERA, won 12 games, got a lot of strikeouts. Um, he wasn't the Masahiro Tanaka we saw in the first two, three months when he came up before the elbow issues in, in 2014. But uh, 
this is a guy who's still interesting. The problem is, is that at the end of the season, he, he underwent what was called minor elbow surgery. They wanted to clean up some things in there. And uh, it, uh, it, it makes you wonder if this still uh, isn't a risk, if this elbow could go any time. And I think that's what Chris is, uh, is talking about. Uh, still, still, he's still kind of a coin flip as to whether uh, this thing could snap or, or he's at risk for some sort of a serious setback. On the other hand, when you look at those numbers, it's, uh, it's the kind of risk that's worth taking depending on what else is on your roster. Uh, he's a high-risk, high-reward guy. Baseball HQ is projecting Tanaka for about a $20 season with a 321-105 line. We're looking for 13 wins on a fairly decent Yankees team. Uh, geez, I don't know if I'd pay 20 bucks though, Jock, would you? Uh, it, again, it, this is all about roster construction. It depends on what else you have to back him up and what kind of risk you're tell, taking elsewhere. If, you're, if the rest of your roster is fairly healthy and you, and you need pitching and you have maybe something, uh, something good in the minors or on reserve to, to come up and help, uh, I would take a chance on Tanaka. I, I mean, I, I really like his numbers here. But then again, if you have a lot of older, uh, risky injury guys, yeah, you don't want to overload your roster too much with those, uh, with those types of uh, profiles. Sound advice as always. Jock, thanks a million for helping us out. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. Okay, PD. See ya. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, and he covers the American League news for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our commentaries are coming up next after this break. Stay with us for more of Baseball HQ Radio. I'd like to do something called baseball and football because these two things are such a part of our lives, these two activities, and yet they're so different. The object of the game is quite different. The object of the game in football is for the quarterback, otherwise known as the field general, to be on target with his aerial assault, riddling the defense by hitting his receivers with deadly accuracy in spite of the blitz, even if he has to use the shotgun. With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory, balancing this aerial assault with a sustained ground attack which punches holes in the forward wall of the enemy's defensive line. In baseball, the object is to go home. I'm going home. I'm going home. Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. We have our commentaries coming up, but first let me tell you about BaseballHQ.com and why we call it the best fantasy baseball website in the business. It's because BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game during spring training and all season long with content across a wide range of great information. This week, just for instance, our Buyer's Guides columns are all looking at gambles for 2016. We talked about some of those with Nick and Jock. In the Facts and Flukes Performance Validation column, analyst Dave Adler looks at David Price, Ian Desmond, and other players. And in the Speculator column, Brent Hershey looks at searching for the next A.J. Pollock. During the season, BaseballHQ.com also has daily matchups reports, a daily fantasy dashboard, full team coverage, and minor league scouting. And of course, there are the projections and other roster management tools you can use to help you dominate your league and daily fantasy baseball. And it's all only at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday commentaries. Coming up, we have playing time, frequent flyers, forecaster position profiles, and master notes. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Arizona outfield prospect Socrates Brito is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. The Arizona Diamondback Socrates Brito not only has one of the coolest names in baseball, but has been opening eyes this spring. The 23-year-old Brito made a cameo appearance in the majors at the end of the 2015 season, hitting 303 in 34 bats, after hitting 300 with 9 home runs and 20 stolen bases at AA. Brito is a toolsy athletic player who has only recently started to tap into his long-term potential. He showed improved power in 2015 as he has started to fill out his 6'2", 200-pound frame. Long-term, he projects to have at least average to above-average power. Brito can be overly aggressive at the plate and walked just 29 times in 490 minor league at-bats last year, but actually improved his contact rate and has a career 288 batting average. Brito came into camp as an extreme long shot to make the Diamondbacks opening day roster, 
but an impressive start to spring has prompted manager Chip Hale to announce that the starting left field job is, is an open competition between Brito and Yasmani Tomas. Most likely, Brito will start the year at AAA Reno, but he makes an excellent endgame flyer in NL-only formats. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Corden. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Bottom line is this, if you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time or losing those valuable at-bats or innings. In this week's edition, we're looking at who's behind closer Sean Tolleson in Texas and how the Colorado shortstop battle will shake out. And here to tell you more, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Sean Tolleson saved 35 games for Texas last season with a 299 ERA and a 115 whip. Fine numbers for sure, and Tolleson's surface stats were backed by many of our underlying metrics, including more than a strikeout per inning and a walks per nine of just 2.1. Tolleson's 133 base performance value, or BPV, was very much closer-worthy. But Tolleson gets an F health grade on his BaseballHQ.com report card thanks to back surgery back in 2013, and recent reports out of camp say that Tolleson has been limited this spring due to lower back spasms. Should Tolleson's back issues land him on the DL, it's wise for fantasy owners to start looking for alternatives now. And there's a pair of very viable closer candidates right behind Tolleson. The first one's Keone Kayla. Had a strong rookie season in the majors last season with a 239 ERA over 60 innings. Kayla, who's just 23 years old, features a double-digit strikeout to 9 and a 50% plus ground ball, weight, ground ball rate, both of which are recipes for continued success. Kayla features a mid-90s heater and a wicked curveball that led us to speculate on a 30-save upside in this year's baseball forecaster. Sam Dyson is another fine option in Texas's bullpen, and while he doesn't have the strikeout potential of Kayla, Dyson put up one of the best ground ball rates in all of baseball at 69% last season, and his expected ERA sat below 3.0, which is right in line with Dyson's 2.63 surface ERA. It's mostly a toss-up between Kayla and Dyson right now in the pecking order behind Tolleson in Texas. But if we look at 2015's Leverage Index, which is a metric that looks at leverage of a game situation when a relievers enter the game, Kayla has a slight advantage over Dyson, so he'd be my early hedge. Either way, fantasy owners would be wise to monitor Tolleson's health this spring. A potential DL stint would open up major save upside for both Dyson and Kayla in 2016. To the National League, we go to Coors Field, where Jose Reyes' upcoming trial and likely suspension from baseball has generated a playing time battle at shortstop this spring. The two candidates to replace Reyes are Christian Adomas and Trevor Story. Adomas has an elite glove, and that's really the main reason why he's in this race. Adomas struggled with the bat in a brief MLB cameo at the end of 2015, hitting just 245 with no homers or steals in 53 at-bats. Adomas hit, did hit over 300 in his last two minor league seasons, but he has no pop and not much speed upside either. Any starter at Coors Field is worth considering, but Adomas' upside is probably just an empty batting average at best. Trevor Story, on the other hand, has much more upside with the bat, even though he's yet to face Major League pitching. Story was our seventh overall prospect in the Rockies system this offseason, which is very deep, uh, thanks to Story's 2020 upside potential in the majors. Story's actually gone 2020 in each of his last two minor league seasons, though a questionable plate approach may give him trouble initially in the majors. It's too early to call the race between Adomas and Story, but fantasy owners should speculate on Story in NL-only leagues. If he can get regular playing time, there's potential for upside at very little cost. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has his playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every week. Now it's time for Frequent Flyers, a commentary where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they could be available in your draft or free agent pool and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers are... Socrates Brito, popular guy this week, and Yankees right-handed starter Nathan Eovaldi. And here to bring you up to date, BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. Heading to Arizona for spring training? Maybe you should plan to get a Brito before your draft. 
No, not a burrito. Socrates Brito, the Diamondbacks rookie outfielder who is vying for a roster spot. Socrates Brito is the first of two frequent flyers we'll profile this week. Who is the second? We'll give you a hint. We saw his record go from 6 and 14 in 2014 to 14 and 3 in 2015. That's a pretty big turnaround, but we'll get to him later. First, Socrates Brito. According to baseballhq.com, Socrates Brito has above average speed. Projected as having a statistically scouted speed index of 149 in 2016, where 100 is considered average, Brito certainly profiles as having the skill to steal bases when given the opportunity. In fact, Socrates Brito has averaged 28 steals per season over the past three seasons of the minors, including swiping 38 bags in 2014. Plus, after batting 300 with 9 home runs and 20 steals in 129 games at AA Mobile in 2015, Socrates Brito made the jump to the majors where he batted 303 in an 18-game September call-up with the Diamondbacks. Despite a small sample size, Brito still earned a 52 BPV in 2015, which would place him among the best hitters over a full season, according to BaseballHQ.com. To put that in perspective, Jose Abreu earned a base performance value of 55 in 2015 with 32 home runs and a 296 batting average. However, to be clear, we are not, and I repeat not, saying that Socrates Brito and Jose Abreu are comparable. Nor are we suggesting that Brito should be drafted in the first or second rounds in 2016. Don't do that! But we are suggesting that Brito may have some hidden value late drafts if he makes a Diamondbacks 25-man roster as expected. So far, Socrates Brito is batting 583 in spring trading for the Diamondbacks. However, it's important to remember that Socrates Brito, like all of our frequent flyers, are long shots who may be worth a flyer if they are available in your league or perhaps late in your draft. If Socrates Brito makes a cut, he could provide a great power-speed combination, but first he'll have to earn some playing time. Speaking of a great power-speed combination, how about Yankee right-hander Nathan Evaldi? Not only does a 26-year-old have a four-seam fastball that can top out above 101 miles per hour, but he's reportedly been working on improving his slider this offseason, which could lead to more ground ball outs and a lower ERA in 2016. Best of all, with a career 410 ERA and a 420 ERA with the Yankees last season, Valdi will likely be overlooked by most owners. However, going from a 6-14 record in 2014 to a 14-3 record in 2015 could indicate a possible breakout. After all, weren't Carlos Carrasco, Jacob deGrom, and Sonny Gray also 14-game winners in 2015? Matt Harvey won 13 games, and Chris Archer won 12. Plus, 2015 marked the first time that Evaldi joined the elite class of pitchers with a dom of 7 or higher. Valdi's 7.1 dom didn't exceed BaseballHQ.com's target of 7 or greater by much, but he did show a decent improvement from his 6.4 dom in 2014. We also saw a full mile per hour uptick in Nathan Evaldi's fastball velocity from 95.7 in 2014 to 96.7 in 2015, according to BaseballHQ.com. On the other hand, Nathan Valdi's command ratio dropped from 3.3 in 2014 to 2.5 in 2015. Moving from the Miami Marlins in 2014 to the New York Yankees in 2015, or from the National League to the American League, also seems to have impacted Nathan Valdi's control rate, which increased from a stellar 1.9 in 2014 to 2.9 in 2015. Not a great trend, but 2.9 is equal to Evaldi's career average. Then again, with the current ADP of 320 according to BaseballHQ.com, or a 21st round selection in a 15-team league, Nathan Evaldi could be a hidden gem in 2016. So if you treasure winning your league championship, consider adding hidden gems, Socrates Brito, and Nathan Evaldi, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com.
Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's our forecaster position profile report. The Baseball Forecaster Annual includes extensive tools and cheat sheets for draft preparation. And during this preseason, Baseball HQ Radio will be letting you in on how the positions shape up from those forecaster lists. Players are rated in tiers with elite at the top, then gold, stars, regulars, mid-level, bench, and fringe. And here with a look at starting pitchers, BaseballHQ.com analyst Greg Fishwick. Now that we've completed all our position previews for hitters, let's turn our attention to pitchers. So while you keep your league context in mind, let's get an overview of the pitching pool and point out some targets for you to consider, as well as a few pitfalls to avoid. There are nine starting pitchers in the top two tiers. The National League has six, and the American League has three. Clayton Kershaw is in a league of his own, with projections of an ERA under two, a whip under one, and nearly 300 strikeouts. That's why he's a bona fide first-rounder in drafts. The other elite starter, also from the National League, is Jake Arrieta. Sure, he's in line for a little regression, but he's still outstanding. In the gold tier, the National League has four starting pitchers, and the American League has three. Both leagues have two with straight-A reliability grades, the National League's Max Scherzer and Madison Bumgarner, and the American League's Corey Kluber and David Price. In the next two tiers, stars and regulars, there are 18 starting pitchers. The American League has 10, and the National League has 8. And here's where the American League pool makes up some ground. Of the six starters with AAA reliability grades, five hail from the American League. King Felix Hernandez, Dallas Keuchel, Sonny Gray, Chris Archer, and Jordan Zimmerman. In the National League, John Lester is no court jester. He reigns supreme. There are a few high-risk health grades worthy of consideration here because of their potential high rewards. Miami has said that Jose Fernandez will have an innings limit in his second year back from Tommy John surgery, and Johnny Cueto may have been hiding an injury in Kansas City last year, but both are worthy targets. After a first-half injury in 2015, Steven Strasburg was everything we've ever hoped for in the second half. Adam Wainwright's injury was to his Achilles tendon, not his arm, but the 34-year-old's dom is dropping. Masahiro Tanaka missed May with forearm and wrist woes. Meanwhile, Marcus Stroman came back strong from knee surgery last season. Assuming you've secured two starters from the top four tiers, and depending on your league context, you'll need the all-important mid-level tier to fill two or three of the four or five starting pitcher slots remaining on your roster. If you need six starting pitchers, aim for two from the mid-level. If you need seven starting pitchers, try for three from the mid-level. Accomplishing that would leave you with the much more manageable task of finding just two more starting pitchers from the bench level or gulp below. If you don't get what you need from the mid-level tier, you'll be fighting the hordes of bargain hunters exiting the elevators at the next two levels to overpay for underperforming arms. The good news is that the mid-level is stocked with at least 26 targetable starters. The National League has 14 and the American League has 12. The bad news is that other alert owners in your league will be focusing their attention on a lot of your mid-level targets. While we await the American League return of Yu Darvish, projected for June, we welcome the National League arrival of fellow Japanese standout Kenta Maeda. This time, five of the six best reliability grades are in the National League. The mid-level tier has a notable age separation, with six elder statesmen aged 32 or older in John Lackey, Hisashi Iwakuma, Francisco Liriano, and James Shields, while the other 20 are all under age 30. But youth doesn't always mean health, with the younger Jaime Garcia, Drew Smiley, and Michael Pineda matching the F-grade injury risks of Greybeards, Iwakuma, and Lackey. You'll need to take some calculated risks here, or you'll be saddled with even more risk from the tiers below. The best value plays from the mid-level are the Ross brothers, with Tyson coming off a disappointing season, while younger bro Joe and the even younger Lance McCullers Jr. may be under the radars of some owners. Then there's the uncertain shoulder of Carlos Martinez, the good pitcher on a bad team albatrosses of Aaron Nola and Rysel Iglesias, the good pitcher on a great team anonymity of Kyle Hendricks, the unspectacular steadiness of Jose Quintana and Colin McHugh the innings limits and injury histories of Steven Matz and Drew Smiley, and the small samples of Luis Severino and Taiwan Walker. If you accomplish your mid-level mission, you'll need only one or two starting pitchers from the bench level or below, and you should be able to confine your search to the bench. 
There you'll find 20 targets, 10 in each league, and five of those 10 in each league come with high reliability grades. In the American League, they are Ian Kennedy, Rick Porcello, Jordano Ventura, Irvin Santana, and R.A. Dickey. In the National League, they are Gio Gonzalez, Mike Leake, Shelby Miller, Jimmy Nelson, and Jeff Samarja. The five other National League targets from the bench level are Patrick Corbin, Jason Hamill, Wei-Yin Chen, Anthony DiSclefani, and Scott Kazmir. In the American League, the other five are Nate Carnes, Carlos Rodon, Josh Tomlin, Justin Verlander, and Andrew Heaney. If you need to fill your last starting slot from the fringe tier, you'll find only 12 targets worth listing. The American League has eight of them, and the National League has just four. The National League list consists of Tyler Glasnow, Tyler Lyons, Jake Peavy, and Robbie Ray. The American League list includes Trevor Bauer, Jose Barrios, Blake Snell, Kevin Gosman, Kyle Gibson, and Erasmo Ramirez, along with the oft-injured Anibal Sanchez, who already is nursing a strained triceps. Pitcher is the only position for which the universal draft grid has a level called below fringe. This eighth level of skills is no bargain basement. It's more like the eighth circle of hell, the one to which Dante assigned frauds. If you're still searching for a starter from the below fringe level, your three best bang for the buck bets are all in the National League. There are two rookies who may not see too many starts, Brandon Finnegan and Lucas Giolito, and a two-time Tommy John surgery survivor, Brandon Beachy. My Kramer Street Irregulars report that Beachy appears to be throwing with confidence, so he may have a chance to fill the number five need in the Dodgers rotation. Watch to see how Beachy holds up if L.A. increases his spring workload and then adds him to the 25-man roster. To review, we have 88 targetable starting pitchers in the baseball forecaster. Things may be a bit different for you if your league has large bench reserves, allows streaming with daily or weekly transactions, or has separate roster slots and eligibility requirements for starting pitchers and relief pitchers. But assuming you have 9 or 10 pitching slots and you'll use 3 relief pitchers, you'll need 6 or 7 starting pitchers. Our recommended pitching staff begins with one or two starting pitchers from the top two tiers, elite and gold, and another one or two from the next two tiers, stars and regulars. Taken together, you have a foundation for success if you have two starters from any combination of those four tiers. Those tiers have a total of 27 targets, 13 in the American League and 14 in the National League. But the crunch comes at the mid-level, and it comes in both quality and quantity. Here, you'll want another two or three reliable arms. Three if you need seven starters, two if you need only six. We've counted 26 targets at the mid-level with 12 in the American League and 14 in the National League. But expect heated competition for them, especially from owners who can't get four or five starting pitchers from the tiers above. To round out your rotation, the bench level has 20 targets, 10 in the American League and 10 in the National League. Two more starters from this tier will complete your staff without having to go into the last two levels, fringe and below fringe. In those two tiers where the dregs reside, there are only 15 combined targets, eight in the American League and seven in the National League. Rostering any one of them is nothing but a lottery ticket. We hope this baseball forecaster position preview helps you build your auction budgets or plan your draft rounds for starting pitchers. Next week, we'll conclude our position previews with a review of relief pitchers, just in time for the big ramp-up of drafts beginning March 19th. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Greg Fishwick is a BaseballHQ.com analyst. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. And I'd like to try to convince you this week that it's time we started thinking about changing the roster slots in rotisserie leagues. A while ago, in an earlier Master Notes column, I proposed that we change the rotisserie wins category by using the Ryan Quality Start, seven innings with three earned runs or fewer. The main reason for the change was that wins suck as a category. That well-reasoned, persuasively argued piece caused a steamroller effect throughout fantasy baseball, in the sense that a steamroller is very, very slow to get rolling. To my knowledge, not one league changed its rules to adopt my clearly superior idea on this topic. And based on that success, I have another idea to present to improve the fantasy baseball experience. It's time to adjust our 23-man fantasy rosters to better reflect the modern reality of major league rosters and in the process to improve the gameplay experience of rotisserie baseball. The 14-hitter, 9-pitcher model was part of the original formulation of rotisserie fantasy baseball. 
I'm a little shaky on the details, but 14 and 9 was written into the first Roto Constitution by Daniel Okrent, I believe with the help of Alexander Hamilton, before he left to become a Broadway hip-hop artist. The founders set up rotisserie so that teams in a standard 12-team AL-only league would draft about 79% of all the players on all the 25-man American League rosters. In fact, the Constitution makes a point of saying that an AL league with less than 12 teams should adjust the player pool so that owners, and I quote, acquire approximately 80% of all available players at the auction draft. Since the AL added a 15th team, the 23-man Roto roster captures about 74% of all the available players. But interestingly, the founders did not adhere to the 80% model when you look at the available players in separate pools of hitters and pitchers. At the beginning, back in 1980, the 168 hitters drafted in a 12-team league made up about 75% of all available hitters. But the 108 pitchers represented more than 85% of the available pitchers at that time. Now, had they applied the 80% rule separately to the hitter and pitcher pools, they would have split the roto roster into 15 hitters and 8 pitchers, not 14 and 9. Since the founding, Major League Baseball rosters have changed a lot. Simply put, Major League teams roster significantly fewer hitters and weigh more pitchers than they did back in 1980. Let's look at the example of the Royals. In 1980, their opening day 25-man roster had 16 hitters and 9 pitchers, fairly typical for a roster of that time. Now fast forward to last year, and the Royals opening day 25-man roster had just 13 hitters and 12 pitchers, also typical of 2015 big league rosters. That three-player swing from batters to pitchers has created an imbalance in Roto rosters. Because the fantasy game hasn't kept up with the real game, the 12-team Roto League now drafts 86% of all hitters. That, in turn, has depleted the free agent pool. In 1980, the draft ended with 56 free agent hitters, nearly five hitters per Roto team in a league. Today, the same draft ends with only 27 free agent hitters, barely two per team, and basically you're looking at the six worst second catchers in the league plus a handful of replacement level guys sitting at the end of the bench. The roster imbalance has affected gameplay and strategy. First, the playing time opportunities have also been redistributed. In 1980, just 8% of all hitters had 600 or more plate appearances, and 26% had between 201 and 400. In 2015, by contrast, the number of 600 plate appearance hitters jumped by 5 percentage points to 13%, while the 201 to 400 plate appearance contingent fell by 5 points to 21%. In other words, there are fewer mid-range players to choose from, and we're forced to put more of our playing time eggs in fewer player baskets. It's easy to think that this added playing time could also be leading to increased injury rates among hitters. And perversely, this comes at a time when the shortage of decent replacement means even a $5 player can't be adequately replaced, much less a $30 star. As a result, almost any injury to a batter can really kill a team's chances, and that takes a lot of fun out of the game. At the same time, the explosion in pitchers means American League Roto Leagues now draft barely half of rostered pitchers, encouraging an extreme stars and scrubs pitching draft strategy because of the depth of free agent pitchers available in the free agent pool. Buy Smith for a buck. If he doesn't pan out, throw him back in. Grab one of the 72 pitchers who are left over from draft. This roster shift has changed the game, and not for the better. One of the attractions of playing fantasy baseball is that it approximates for fans the real experience of running a team. And I know it's not exactly the same, but we should try to make it as close as we can. And as we've seen so far, that experience is now at pretty significant odds with the real deal. Fortunately, there is a solution. Since the major leagues have recalibrated the hitter-pitcher mix on their rosters, so should Roto Leagues. If we were to just maintain the original distribution mandated by the founders, 75% of hitters, 86% of pitchers, and we adjust for the 15th AL team, we would end up with 11 hitters and 12 pitchers. This just seems wrong, mostly because real baseball hasn't tipped over to a situation where pitchers outnumber hitters on the roster. Not yet, anyway. In fact, hitters and pitchers are now almost equal in number on Major League rosters, with a slight edge to hitters so it makes sense for roto rosters to have a similar shape. Adjusting the balance to 75% of both the hitter pool and the pitcher pool gives us 12 hitters and 11 pitchers for our 23-man roster, which is about the same balance as big league clubs. 
So all that's left to do is adjust the roster positions. Some leagues have made this adjustment, and they usually start by eliminating the second catcher, which makes sense given the shortage of second catchers already mentioned. But rostering a single catcher kind of lacks the real experience most Roto players want. Every big league club has to have two catchers. I think a Roto club should have to, too. Most 2015 big league rosters set up their 13 hitters with two catchers, five or six outfielders, and five or six infielders, plus an occasional full-time DH. The adjustment is also eased by multi-position guys like Ben Zobrist. We could set up our rosters this way. You have two catchers, five infielders, replacing the corner and middle infielders with one infielder, eligible either way, four outfielders, and a utility slot. I know ideas like this find it tough to gain traction. Tradition runs deep in fantasy baseball just like in the real thing. But hey, Harold Reynolds knows what OBP is now. Real baseball is changing. And if our game is to retain its accuracy as a likeness of the real game as it gets played, isn't it time we change too? For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Patrick Davitt, Master Notes columnist at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. And of course, we have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, March the 11th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 8 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. Also, I want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon. Our playing time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. Our frequent flyers commentator was Alex Becky, and our pitcher matchups analyst was Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope you enjoyed Master Notes this week, and of course, I always hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook. We have a Twitter feed at Baseball HQ, and I have a personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. Feel free to follow me there. Please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available, and it's easy to stay in touch with the show. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday with our Tuesday Tout Show. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.